Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. Welcome to the Jesse Blake Sports Report. Whether it is your first time here or your last time here or somewhere in between, I am so happy that you are here today so that we can discuss why the hell the Miami Dolphins can't beat a good football team. So today the Miami Dolphins played the Kansas City Chiefs in Germany. It was the first ever game in Germany, in Frankfurt, Germany, uh, to be exact. It was pretty cool. The fans, like, let's let's start there. The fans in Germany got up for this game. Like, that stadium was rocking all four quarters of this game. And even though it was, like, kind of a lull in the middle of it, uh, in the middle of that second quarter, especially until, like, the very end of the second quarter. We'll get to that. But shout out the NFL fans in Germany. They showed up. They were loud. They were boisterous. The, the singing isn't something like you usually get with American crowds, but like they were chanting like it was a, a European football match. It was it was fantastic to hear that crowd. So um, I love seeing this stuff. I think next week they're going again, and it's the Patriots and Raiders, if I remember that correctly. I can probably just look that up, but I'm not going to correct myself. Let me know in the comments if I got that game right off the top of my head. But yeah, they'll be there again next week. And shout out those European football fans. Uh, the German ones are doing great stuff. But for the game itself and the Dolphins, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss, and I think I'm officially a little perturbed with this football team. I Early on in the season, we all know this offense was raucous. You know, it couldn't be stopped. They're putting up video game numbers, the 70-point game against the Denver Broncos. We're all so hyped on this team. And so far this season, the Dolphins have faced the Bills, the Eagles, and the Chiefs. Three good teams. And in all three of those games, they have failed to win those games. They failed to... I'm not going to say they failed to show up. Like, I'm not going to go that far because they definitely showed up. But they failed to rise to the level where they can win some of these games. And the Dolphins officially do not have a team that could win, like, say, a 9-7 football game. They can't do it. First of all, they they don't score nine points. They'll always put up a minimum of uh, 14 points. It looks like right now we're week 10, and today's 14-point effort versus the Kansas City Chiefs was the least amount of points they scored all season long. The offense is there. They've got a minimum. they got a floor of offensive power that they can output, but when they can't run up the score on a team, they can't win football games, and that's what we saw today against the Kansas City Chiefs. And speaking of those three games they played versus the Eagles, the Bills and the Chiefs today. I want to break down some stuff from those three games before we get into the numbers of today and before we get to the Chiefs side of the ball. So looking at those three games uh, that have happened so far this season, they haven't won any. Those those three teams that they played are 19 and 6. So they have a 76 winning percentage and against the all the other teams they've beaten so far this season, they're, they're 6 and 0 because they're 6 and 3. Those teams have gone a combined 11 and 27. So the Miami Dolphins have done a great job beating up on the bad teams and losing games against the good teams. And in those three games, as we're going through them, Tyreek Hill in those three games. And I'm sorry, I'm going to hold Tyreek and Tua accountable because that's where the offense runs through. It's Mike McDaniel's offense is crazy good. It's electric, but when they show up against these teams, this is the performance we get out of Tyreek Hill and Tua Tagovailoa. Tyreek Hill, three catches, 58 yards against the Buffalo Bills. Against the Philadelphia Eagles, 11 catches, 88 yards, one TD. Not bad, but not the 162 yards, 13 catches, two TDs, Tyreek Hill. And then again today against the Chiefs, 
eight catches, 62 yards. So we have 58 yards, 88 yards, 62 yards against three very good teams. They're three biggest challenges of the season. Tua, his performances in big games, 282 yards passing against the Bills, 216 against the Eagles, 193 against the Chiefs, which is a season low. So it's only been getting worse as he as the season goes along and they continue to face good football teams. And in those games, one TD pass, one TD pass, one TD pass. Those numbers aren't good enough. If this team expects to have Super Bowl aspirations, which I thought the Dolphins did, and that's why I'm I'm a little perturbed at this because you know you 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 get behind the team and you're like, damn, I want to see McDaniel, who I'm a big fan of, just his story and the way he's coaching this offense and the way his football mind thinks of just like get fast players, get them to run around. That's how you can win football games. Like it's flag football out there. Just have somebody outrun everybody, and that's what he's done with Waddle and Hill, and it's been fantastic to see. And A Chain was was great when he wasn't injured, and Mostert's out there running his heart out. And when they get these big games, Tua isn't able to show up, doesn't have a 300-yard passing game, doesn't have more than one passing TD. Tyreek Hill has a combined one TD catch in those three games, never had a 100-yard receiving game. That's been the biggest disappointment for me and the Miami Dolphins, their inability to show up. And I'm a little lost at to why they can't show up in these big games. And I think today's game might provide some hints and some answers because it's it's we're in week 10. Like, we can't make a final determination on the team. I don't think you can really do that until you, the season's over and you get the full picture and all that stuff because football's such a long season and it's week 10. And the bye week for the Dolphins is next week. They're off next week. And that is so crucial because the NFL is such a tight schedule. It's such a tight turnaround week to week to week. You get so many little amount of days and practices in between games to games that the bye weeks are where teams make serious adjustments. So this week, this week 11, this week 10 coming up for the Dolphins is where we're going to see, well, we're not going to see it on the field because we won't be watching them play football, but in practices and then the scheming for Mike Rutano, when he comes out of the bye week, we're going to see, like, hopefully they make some adjustments so they can turn into a football team that can have a, a defense that can hold a team like the Chiefs to to 21 points, which is, eh, it's not great, but, like, it's it's decent. It's it, You're in the game. You, you had a last drive there to try and tie it up, and hopefully you have an offense that doesn't sputter out in these big moments. Maybe you can turn into a team that can win a 9-7 football game as well as win a 70-20 to 20 football game as you did earlier in the season. So this bye week is going to be very important for the Dolphins. And this game today, let's get into it because it'll provide a little bit of a look in into why the Dolphins are struggling. And it comes down to two big things in my eyes. First of all, they started the game. They punted on six of their first seven possessions. And the one possession where they didn't punt was Tyreek Hill fumbling the ball, well, getting the ball stripped um, from him, and then that turning into a very nice play by the Chiefs defense, that little lateral play to Cook, and he runs it back for a uh, fumble return touchdown. That that play, first of all, is just so smart by Mike Edwards after Trent Duffy uh, forced the fumble. Like, what a what a great lateral by by Edwards there. And and those those little mistakes seem to be what the Dolphins fall victim to all the time in these big games. They don't often rise to the occasion, and when these little moments happen, they fall flat and they learn they turn into big mistakes. This is on the surface a fourteen point swing in the game. The Dolphins were 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 going to charge down the field, hopefully get 
maybe a touchdown, maybe a field goal. But at the end of the half, an opportunity to score a touchdown turns into a touchdown for the defense, a 14-point swing, which is huge. And that ends up being the deciding factor in the game as they lose by seven points. And, And the other big mistake that happened at the end of the game, Tua, fourth and 10, after missing the receiver on the previous play, he fumbles the snap and the game's over. And that was after Mostert, like, carries the team literally by himself down the field. And then they have three awful plays, uh, first first down, second down, and third down, and they get to this fourth down situation. And here, here's the game's on the line here, and Tua fumbles the snap. And if that isn't a microcosm for the Dolphins season, I don't know what is. What an awful, disappointing, and and lukewarm way to end that big game where they they were they were down and out all game long. Big third quarter, you put up 14 points. You you get an opportunity after Mahomes and the Chiefs just have weird play on third down where they decide not to run it on third and one, and you get this opportunity and bumble. That's it. So that's the Dolphins side of the ball, and I think that that's a good place to skip over the Chiefs side of the ball because. That third and one, I don't know what the hell Andy Reid and Mahomes and and everybody out there is thinking, but the Chiefs really do not have the offense that we're used to the Chiefs having. And a lot of it, like a lot of the chatter is just on the the weapons that Mahomes doesn't have anymore. They've really thinned the offense out. And the combination of Scantling and Sky Moore and Miko Hardman and Rasheed Rice and Pacheco running it up the middle every single time, and Travis Kelsey getting triple teamed isn't enough offense for the Chiefs to be the Chiefs offense that we think. And Mahomes, to his credit, is always Patrick Mahomes and does a fabulous job under pressure, and he's been under the most pressure that he's ever been in his career this season. He's just been blitzed like crazy, and guys don't have an ability to get open, and he's just been finding ways to dink and dunk all the way down the field. His entire downfield options, like deep throws, have been entirely taken away this season. He has one deep throw, I believe, for a touchdown on the entire year. And by deep throw, I think it's uh, 30 plus yards is the qualification for a deep throw. Maybe 30 or 40. I got to check those numbers again. But just all of his deep options are taken away because he has no time, but he's done a fantastic job piecemealing this offense together and getting enough points to win these games. And obviously they're in first place in the AFC, so they're doing something right. But the scary thing for Chiefs haters and the exciting thing for Chiefs fans this year is that the defense might be something like this defense that the chiefs have in Kansas city might be something serious. And we might see a turning point here with the chiefs where they have this exceptional defense that can, that can just hold the fort enough for the offense, which is not the greatest offense, but it's still very good offense because they have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey that the defense can just do enough can do so much that Mahomes, there's a little bit less pressure on him, and they can win all these games. The Chiefs' defense is exceptional. It is something to watch, which could be scary, because come playoff time, we know the games get tighter, and we know that defense sometimes wins you championships. That's the old phrase, defense wins you championships. And if the Chiefs have that on top of maybe getting a little bit of offense together and getting them back to not 100% of where they were last year in terms of their offense, but if they're at like 90%, I would say they're at like 70% of what they could be uh, from last year to this year. If they get a little bit more offense out of this team in the second half of this season and the defense stays where it is, they got to be the favorites to get the Super Bowl in the AFC. 
as much as people don't want to see it, as much as people hate dynasties, I know. I think right now I'm taking the Chiefs to get out of the AFC and make it back to the Super Bowl. The defense is just too exceptional. And what the coaching staff is doing there is something special. The Chiefs D is real. And I think a game against this Dolphins offense, which look, which is ranked number one in the National Football League, what they were able to do to them, limiting them to two offensive touchdowns. This first time since 2021, I believe they didn't score any points in the first half. The Chiefs defense did that. They did that. And I think they're for real. Couple things before I go here today. One one piece of feedback I want to bring from last episode. This was written by Dave L in the JBSR discussion channel on the SDPN Discord. Go to SDPN.ca, scroll a little, and there's a thing that says join us on Discord. Hit that and join us on our Discord server. Dave L said this in response to me saying that like the Vegas race in F1 that's coming up has kind of been a disaster for the community living uh, near the Strip and all the tourists there because of all the construction that's had to take place on the Strip uh, to build this race that's coming up in two weeks. And Dave L. said this, Just got back from Vegas, and while the F1 circuit will definitely be a spectacle, considering the race will be at night, it's hard to get past the fact that the Strip has been completely destroyed because of the track. The fountains at the Bellagio, which is a major tourist attraction, has been completely blocked off. And one can wonder if they might charge tourists in the future to see what was free before. The city committed close to $1 billion to resurface the streets and clean up the strip to make way for the race. And I can't imagine this will be a one-off. And some suggest that they may just leave the grandstands up in front of the hotels to save time and money. And there's a couple other comments also from some of the listeners of the podcast on YouTube who had this similar sentiments to Dave in that it's been an invasive experience having F1 build this track for months now on the strip. And yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a one-off because of the money and the time and the infrastructure committed uh, that F1 in the city committed to building this. But you can't help but feel for the people who enjoy going to Vegas, who live in around the area, and feel like it's been taken over by this one event that's going to be... It's going to be a, a week-long thing. is like five days. The The race is one day, but like there'll be there'll be events up in from like the Thursday, from the Wednesday through the Sunday. And for those five days, six days maybe... Is it all worth it? You know, I wonder if the city kind of regrets the amount of money that's gone into this, especially when we're at a point in the F1 calendar where there's nothing on the line in terms of the championship. You know, they got the second last race of the year and nobody's racing for the big prize. They're racing for all of the other positions and millions of dollars at stake when you finish like second and third and fourth and all that. But Max Verstappen's been the champion nearly a month or something now, right? So it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I'm going to keep track of that story. And Tim on Nailing the Apex will have a lot more on the Vegas Grand Prix. But I think it's such an interesting story, I find, because the city of Vegas has been um, at the top of the sports conversation for the better part of a couple of years now with the NBA in-season tournament going to be there. Um, the Vegas Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup, the Las Vegas Aces winning the WNBA championship, the Oakland Athletics moving to Vegas. The Vegas is such a interesting sports market, and now we're throwing this F1 race on top of it that's causing a disrupt disruption to the, one of the biggest tourist attractions on planet Earth.
So I don't know. Just from that perspective, I find this story fascinating. And the other thing I want to touch on just before I go here, Brady Kachuk. Brady Kachuk said this to the media after the Ottawa Senators lost again on Saturday night. Yeah, frustrating. I mean, it's whenever you don't win, it's it's frustrating. And um, it's frustrating the, the negativity from the outside. It's um, the constant booing and, and the, uh, kind of from the crowd too tonight was um, – I understand that they're a passionate fan base. I understand. I love it. But um, I mean, when you face adversity, you don't you don't turn your back on uh, the, the guys out there. I mean, we're, we're playing hard. Um, I know it's frustrating right now, but it's not like we're we're giving up out there. We're fighting to the very end. So um, to be honest with you, it's um, I, I was I was very frustrated tonight. As I said, the Ottawa Senators lost. It was to the Tampa Bay Lightning. It was 6-4. to four, And the Ottawa Senators now sit last in the Atlantic Division. And yeah, last night, the fans booed them. And that was Brady Kachuk's response to the fans being unhappy with the team's performance. And I got such beef with him doing that. How dare you? How dare you boo the people who paid money to go to the arena to watch you play? That's what they're there for. They are fans of the team. They are not going to cheer you if you keep losing. They're there to watch you win. They're there to watch you succeed. And then when you're not performing, it's not their responsibility to boost you up. That's your own problem, Brady. Like, oh, man, I hated that. I hate that attitude that the fans have anything to do with your play on the ice. The fans will cheer when you're good. They'll boo when you're bad. That's the experience of a fan. How do you not understand that? You're the captain of this team, and your response to losing is to go at the fans for not believing in you when all you've done this season is end up in last in the Atlantic. Come on, get out of here, Brady. I hated that. I'm sorry, Sens fans. This has been such a tumultuous season for you guys, and I hope that... You go out there, Canadian Tire Center, and when your team doesn't perform well, you boo them. And when they're great, again, because they will be, because there's a lot of great young pieces in Ottawa, it's just nothing has fallen your way this season, you should start cheering them again, you know? And and you show up, you you pay a lot of money to go to those games. It, it, times are tough right now in the in the economy. Tickets aren't cheap. And as long as nothing's hurtful, you have a right to express your opinions in any way you want. And Sens fans, it'll turn around eventually, if it's not this season, sometime in the near future. Because like I said, a lot of young, good pieces in Ottawa. That's it for me today. I'll see you back later this week. Thank you for being here. You could have been anywhere in the world which shows me here watching this podcast right now. And I appreciate you. Uh, hit like if you like this video. Hit subscribe if you really like it. Give it a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Good night. From Toronto. That is how it's done. The Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. Jesse Blake, the guy that likes to hear his name twice in one sentence. Sure, I know him. No, he doesn't have an ego at all.